0: hello 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 everyone and welcome to episode five of the 361 lifeline podcast and we're called 361 recovery on spotify itunes and anchors uh, or rather anchor (laughs) not anchors um and i'm alice smith and we have the rather fragrant jess hawks too hi guys hi jess are you fragrant today um, I, I feel pretty, yeah, pretty happy today. You smell nice? I think so, yeah, I showered. <laughs> that's good, I haven't yet. So yeah, you can just have, Um, it's, it, it's luckily it isn't a scratch and sniff podcast, Um, but I suppose that's coming in the future. Well, it's episode five today and we've had a great response to our theme, which is alcohol and thank you so much to everybody who sent in voicemails we've had four voicemails today which we're going to incorporate into the show and have a chat about so thanks so much and please keep them coming in because they're making our show really interesting for us as well i think um so yeah it's all about alcohol today uh, i chose this topic because there's a report that there's uh, an increased Um, alcohol consumption during this difficult time and I've got a little story later to tell you about why that might be from my shop in Tesco Um, and um, yeah I'm Alice and I'm going to kick this first part off uh, but I will be um, talking to Jess as well Um, and we're going to talk about being an alcoholic I'm a recovering alcoholic I've been sober for three years and I suppose what does that mean really recovering I uh, didn't know till I was in it really uh, so we can have a raving alcoholic who's who's really enjoying themselves and still on it we could have a functioning alcoholic which again I didn't really know what that was and what I'd been for all my many decades which means that I held down a really good job and um just drank in the evenings or at weekends binge drank and it never really got out of control uh as far as I know since I was from 14 um And then now I'm a recovering alcoholic where I've been sober for three years and uh, I've realized that I can't have a drink because I will get my behavior will get out of control. Um, So, yeah, listeners, just want you to think about which one you might be. Cast aside the idea that you don't believe in any of it just for this podcast and think, am I a raving alcoholic? Am I on it every night? Am I recovering? Am I? We've got uh, Aquila talking later. It's 18 months into sobriety. Um, or have we, uh, am I a functioning alcoholic? You're not going to admit that, but you've, uh, you have a great job and you're down a bottle of wine every night and you're fine. Thanks. You're switching off now. Um, so one of the things about being an alcoholic is one of the things to ask yourself, if you want to work out where you are on this scale, Obviously, there are people that don't have an issue at all. I've left them out for now. Um, Can you just have one drink? Uh, I can't, which is why I'm sober now. I can't just have one. If I have one, it leads to I just go for it, you know, and uh, do drinking games and always end up doing something at the end of the scale. So I did destroy my life with it, really, with the actions that I took. Um, The other thing to say is uh, there's a lot of day ones behind any sober person like me. So my son asked me the other day um, how I got sober and it was a really hard question. I couldn't really answer it. But all I could say was I had lots of day ones on that road. And in fact, that was my nickname. And some of you listening might remember me in that phase. My nickname was Day One. And I used to text people Day One as a joke uh, because I would. I'd started, I was on day one again from day 10 or day four or whatever it was. So there are many day ones. And if you've tried to be sober because you, for some reason, you think you should, and you've got a few day ones behind you, that's okay. That's normal. There are many rock bottoms. There's not just one rock bottom. But as uh, an alcoholic addiction takes hold of you, you begin to lose bigger things like maybe your driving license a partner, your job, your house, and your mental health, uh, other close relationships, people might stop talking to you, and you may lose a sense of your own personal safety, get yourself into all sorts of difficult situations, which I did. And this is a slow slide. I say slow, okay, it can happen over years, but it's a horrible sinking slide in, to go from. Uh, Pretty much functioning uh, with maybe with a partner or a good job to to losing it all. Um, Drink is your best friend. Uh, That's how it feels. And it becomes before everything and everyone else. Uh, Drink is also a feature of your social media. So I can tell people who've got an alcohol problem now. By how they put here's my gin, here's me and my bottle, here's my me and this and they always have the drink as like a person um and it always brings up a little red flag for me that maybe they have got an issue that they're not aware of we're going to come on to that later Jess because uh, a lot of people who've uh, given us vo- voicemails have talked about this feature of social media of of people saying oh look at me here's my little friend uh the uh, Jack Daniels thing um yeah point behind
1: addiction I think What's that? Um the nonchalance that especially British people have in social media in regards to addictive substances.
0: Yeah, I mean I I don't I was quite surprised that our voicemails would come on to later that were saying this is tempting me to drink, this is tempting me to drink, but from my age group, I actually have someone in my family who was um put I had to distance myself from them not because they're a bad person but because they were saying here's my prosecco here's my wine here's my beer like it was a mate and um it, it they weren't acknowledging uh I've actually got quite a few people in my family with alcoholism and and it think it does run in families that's another point um I just wanted to say in this section as well that the addict takes everything and it will destroy everything i say it it's you, obviously, but um, if you want to imagine your addict as a person, which is sometimes helpful, sometimes not, they will take everything uh, eventually. And um, the addict is fueled by connection. So the best book I've ever read, and I've given it away six times now to people, is Recovery by Russell Brand. He's basically uh, taken the 12 steps from the AA and he's put it in his own style. Whatever you say about Russell Brand, if you get a copy of this, I have a read of it. It it talks about the addict in the most honest way I've ever talked, and my recovery really was helped by this book. He talks about himself and his addict self, and he, he just says how unpleasant this addict is, but he does say that the addict is fueled by connection. So if you're listening, just have a think about this. This is the sadness of the addict that I actually feel. We want to connect and we drink to connect, but the drink destroys the connection. One of the final things I just wanted to say in this part was that um, I've lived in Western Supermare. It's the rehab center of Europe. And in there, I saw lots of people that were on rehab. Uh, They'd go out on a Friday to a beach to have lunch. And weirdly, I was there as well. So it's kind of like my own rehab. And from that, I learned that there's stages of rehab. And so sometimes you get three goes at it and it costs thousands. It costs your family thousands. So your family's paying out for your addiction. And uh, if you leave, you're free to leave each time. If you leave right at the end and your family can't stand anymore, they um, just give you the train fare home. So that's why Western Supermare is uh, full of hundreds of people who failed rehab. So quite ironic, I ended up living there. And um, the last flat I was in was a large street, which was full of dry houses. And uh, I, I'd never heard of this. So after rehab, you go into a dry house where, where you're locked in overnight so that you won't go out and drink. And uh, you it's like a halfway house. So you're not just you just don't just go from rehab out into the community again. That's how much of a hold alcoholism can have on you. So, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of uh, any any comments, Jess, uh, before we cut for a bit of music on uh, on the um being an alcoholic by Alice Smith.
1: I think your three year sobriety is a major big deal and you should definitely pat yourself on the back round of applause and, you know, have a bath over that. That's huge. Oh, thanks. I still haven't worked out how to
0: they put the applause button in.
1: (laughs) But yeah, it's an interesting addiction that does destroy lives. And it's not just the alcoholics live either. It's like the people around them as well. So it's an interestingly destructive one in particular.
0: That's so true. Uh, Thanks, Jess. Okay, we are going to go over to Jess after this track um, and talk about triggers. So this is Sober by Pink. And I must admit, when I listen to this, I just think, yeah, I was there.
2: For me, I struggle with binge drinking. So once I have one drink, I struggle to stop especially in social situations so what I'm doing at the minute is I'm trying to avoid social media especially um, certain people on Facebook or certain aspects of social media where I know I'll be tempted to join in and drink also um, I don't drink if I'm in a low mood because I know that then I'll just be drinking as a coping mechanism Hi, it's Zara. I think in terms of my drinking since lockdown, it's actually decreased because the main times when I would drink would be like getting in from work. If I'd had a stressful day at work, I would, you know, kind of drink to relax, I guess. And then also like social situations. So going out for drinks and parties and that kind of situation, which obviously both of those during this lockdown have kind of disappeared um so now I kind of if I have a drink it's like uh, well it's not because I'm stressed out about work and it's not because you know I'm in that social environment so actually I guess my kind of reasons for drinking have um almost disappeared type of thing although what I would say is a lot of people on social media still Drinking and kind of being like, oh yeah, having a drink. Lockdown, drinking more. So that's kind of tempting to to do.
0: Hello and welcome back to part two of uh, three six one Lifeline with Alice Smith and Jess Hawkes. It's episode five, and we're talking about alcohol. And we just heard two voicemails. Jess, there was uh, one from Luke who cited social media. As um, a trigger for him, in terms of a temptation, or his words, and we also had a voicemail from Zara, who's it, strangely enough. Then mentioned a couple of triggers that she's she's drinking less now because she doesn't have them. Uh, they are work stress and the actual pressurized feeling of drinking a lot when you're socializing. So I'm hoping, Jess, that you can uh, take the podcast away now and tell us a little bit more about triggers.
1: Triggers is an interesting one. Um, I ended up with borderline per- uh, borderline alcoholism after leaving my last relationship because, you know, very dark place. I was working in a bar and one of the coping mechanisms was going out getting blitzed after work and uh, ending up in some sticky scenarios myself. So Triggers is an interesting one. The main one I found was socialising because there is a lot of pressure within british culture especially that like every social situation seems to have alcohol related to it and that can be quite stressful especially if you're sober like i managed a late night gay bar and i was sober for most of it and being the only sober person in a room is hard you know um a lot of people that drink will use that term on a level because Obviously, alcohol lowers people's inhibitions. It gives you a sense of fun. Initially, it's a stimulant. It then becomes a depressant. Um, And it does change the way we socialize with one another because of the lower inhibitions and things. The work stress is something that often gets cited by a lot of people. You know, you come back from work, you treat yourself, or that's the way you see it. You, You treat yourself to a glass of wine, you treat yourself to... Um, a gin and tonic you go to a bar and you treat yourself to drinks with the girls and it's an interesting concept within British culture especially there's a documentary on YouTube by Adrian Giles and it's scary how ingrained it is and how just commonplace the thoughts are I mean when I did my personal license training they changed the NHS has changed the amount that we should all be drinking a week, so men and women, it's seven units of alcohol, and at the time, I was sat with a bunch of bartenders, and we all sat there, and we're like, well, we that's not even a session, you know, and it's an interesting one, because social media, you find a lot of memes, you find a lot of people sharing jokes, where, you know, they're laughing at each other, and being like, haha, this is you, as well, and there are, many different triggers I've found the whole lockdown scenario triggering and my sobriety is something I've struggled with but because of having to address it before it's not as uncontrolled as last time like it literally hit a point where I had to do 30 days sober because all the time I was getting blitzed because that's what happens you have this weird little slide into just everything revolves around drink and it's a really strange thing and you know the triggers can be the lack of self-worth you have post abusive relationship. that was mine they can be definitely social media and that whole party vibe thing you know you're a cool kid if you're partying it's the same with any other kind of substance abuse there is an element of peer pressure but there are so many different reasons that people end up triggered into not wanting to be sober one of my main ones is trying to switch off my internal dialogue I don't sleep very well um my brain doesn't switch off or shut down very well either so it's a way of drowning out but it's not good for you to use that as a method
0: yeah I mean we've got um we've got low morale and uh, loneliness mentioned later on by Nona um, t- as uh, not necessarily her coping, sorry, their co- coping mes- mechanisms, but coping mechanisms in general. Um, so what what coping mechanisms, if somebody's listening out here now, um, what could they swap instead of going onto Facebook for connection and finding lots of people saying, hey, come on, let's drink in front of a screen. Um, you know what could they swap or or they're feeling lonely um and uh, the bottle will always be my best friend it still is now it's just that i'm not speaking to it so so um what other coping mechanisms could listeners use do you think
1: um other coping mechanisms would include things like phone calls with friends um preferably sober friends some of my friends are you know a lot sober so it definitely depends on the social structure you have one of the things I did want to replace it in real world and not in lockdown was with going for coffee with friends because coffee is my best friend personally it's my favorite thing in the entire world but the loneliness is going to be hard especially at the moment we're on week four so phone calls will definitely make you feel like there's a bigger world out there and definitely will remind you that you know not everything has to revolve around it definitely pick the company you're deciding to interact with that's important you know if you feel you're struggling don't go to codependent addicts they will make it worse it's like a smoker sat next to a chain smoker the only thing that's going to happen is you'll slip um other coping mechanisms you've got creative outlets if that fulfills you you've got self-care outlets if that fulfills you so take some time out, cook a meal, have a bath, get out for a walk, read a book. Distraction methods, they may feel arbitrary at the time, but building a habit. So say with, you know, if you're going to opt for the self-care me- method, decide on a skincare routine you want to get down, do your makeup so that you feel like you're functioning. Um Books definitely help pick your fiction wisely. There's plenty of fantasy to get lost in. I know a lot of introverts use fantasy literature because, you know, they're usually better people than people that they're kind of forced to socialize with. But definitely if you are going to use the methods that revolve around people, because obviously we have social media and we can use it as a tool to make us feel less lonely in this time. Be very careful with who you're spending those Skype phone calls with but you know still make the effort to because it definitely you know right now I'm teaching my nephew Monday to Friday and it's definitely helping keeping me feel sane seeing his
0: little face every day oh they're fantastic coping coping mechanisms I can't say it that you you said there and um, I just want to add that uh, from from being an alcoholic to, to being sober, obviously they're one and the same thing. Um, it is, uh, I got to the root of, of what was wrong with me. I'm just going to say it, you know, I wouldn't allow anyone else to say it like that, but, um, which was that I didn't want to be alone and I'm at quite a ripe old age now, Jess. And, uh, I've been single and sober at the same time. And it's not a coincidence. Um, and I didn't want to be alone. And I now know how to be alone. And I, and what's more, I prefer being alone. So um, this loneliness that Nona mentions later, uh, I'm sure that a lot of listeners are feeling this loneliness. And loneliness has been the absolute bane of my life and the root of my drinking. And so, you know, there's nothing for it at the moment, but to feel this feeling to sit alone now being alone and lonely are so different and this is what I've discovered so loneliness you you think that there's something missing being alone you sit there and you feel you, you're okay and even if even when I'm not now as um I never used to be able to do this when I was drinking I can sit with the pain uh, this is a, a gradual thing you're not just going to be able to get it in lockdown but you might start now and you might be able to carry on and, and actually feel emotional pain and not and not go for the whiskey. Um, and just before we have uh, your track, Jess, I just wanted to tell everyone about this other book called "The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober" by Catherine Gray. It's absolutely brilliant. It's so good that they doctors give it out to uh, people now for the rehab. So that's the unexpected joy of being sober. And like Russell Brand's book, it's very, very honest. You know, she says how she always smelt of sick and thought she was dead sexy in bed when really she wasn't. And um, it's a really good book uh, for you if you're thinking of sobriety or you're very early on. So what's our track, Jess, to break up the, the hard edged nature of this chat? Uh,
1: Rebel Girl by Bikini Kill Because it makes me feel empowered Every time I listen to it
0: Right Let's see if it works
3: So I think alcohol can be a good thing And a bad thing Um, But whilst we're in lockdown um, And whilst we're sort of in isolation I think it's really important to consider why we're drinking To ask ourselves are we drinking because the weather's nice uh, or are we drinking because we feel lonely or bored um, or a bit down? And I think it's really important to think about the fact that if you're already in that kind of low place, um, drinking alcohol is just going to um, increase those thoughts, increase the anxiousness um, and you know, potentially make it worse. So I think it's really important to be um, mindful of, of what we're drinking and why we're drinking. And also to think about how alcohol affects our bodies and our minds in the mornings if we've been drinking, we're going to be slower, we're going to be more sluggish, um, and it's really important to to kind of keep our minds and our bodies as active and kind of um, great as we can.
0: Hello and welcome back to part three of episode five, it's getting complicated, alcohol there's nothing complicated about that or is there
4: yeah.
0: and uh, we just heard from um nona um and nona was mentioning the effects of alcohol on the body so thanks nona we we thought we'd we'd develop that a little bit more and uh jess is going to have um, a, a chat with us about the effects of alcohol on the body and then i'm just going to talk about how it can affect your whole life mm. <laughs> Um,
1: on the body and especially like your mental health, it's an interesting one. So because I took up sports, that was another factor in like having to reevaluate my relationship with alcohol because alcohol kills muscle growth. And if you're weightlifting, guess what your aim is? Not not muscle growth. So that was one of the main reasons I went, you know, mostly sober. I did a two month bodybuilding um, set with one of my friends who showed me, who like personally trained me through those three months and I was in so much pain and eating so much food I didn't have time for it. And definitely at the end of that I had to kind of reevaluate what I was doing with my life because if I want to make gains, you know, I can't be losing it over something that seems trivial um other effects it are things like it will affect your sleep a lot of people drink to fall asleep as I said I did it doesn't help it puts it really messes up your sleep patterns. so you're gonna feel exhausted pretty much all the time some of you probably feel that way already if like me you're a chronic insomniac but it's gonna make it worse because it definitely disrupts the quality of your REM sleep and the kind of patterns you have behind it it is a depressant as i mentioned earlier so initially you're going to feel a buzz you're going to feel social you're going to feel confident and at some point that dopamine hit is going to wear off and you're going to feel awful and the self-esteem issues that you think you're running away from and the insecurities that you think you're drowning still going to be there only a lot worse <laughs> so yeah
0: it seems to magnify everything um i decided I did a lot of performing to this track called Stay High, uh, which is not available so we can't play it now. But um so I realized that I was trying to stay high, but obviously like every addict that you have to have more and more because you mentioned that you get the buzz. But if you drink to excess, that buzz goes, doesn't it? You can't you can't chase it. You can chase it, but you can't actually get it, can you? No. And the next thing you know, you're getting blitzed,
1: you know, every day off because it's five o'clock in the afternoon, you've got friends over for dinner and you've decided you're going to open the beer early or you've woken up and gone, hey, I can't get hung over if I'm still drunk. That was a classic line I used at many festivals, you know, and it's not a healthy relationship to maintain with
0: an addictive substance. It might seem that's to- a brilliant one. Isn't it funny how we have these lies? I used to have I've got to drink because it makes my complexion really good. And I must drink whiskey because it's got wheat in it, which is cereal. <laughs> but that that's such a
1: hangover of British drinking culture as well. There are so many people that would be going over the recommended allowance for units and on a very regular basis. And it's so casual and the argument is always I can put the bottle down anytime I want but can you when I did the 30 days sabre after I hit the point where I was like right I'm definitely in addiction territory if I do not sort myself out it took me two attempts at day one and you, you feel ridiculous the second attempt happened 10 days in you know I managed 10 days and the first week is hard I'm not Going to lie it's not an easy thing to do as I said before being the only sober person in the room. Every day seems to drag every conversation with someone that's not sober does your head in. there are so many things you notice and you're so hyper aware as well and you can't switch that off especially if like me you get wired with coffee but it's very difficult and even just doing 30 days sober definitely helps you reevaluate your relationship with how often you're drinking. After that, I went down to drinking maybe one barrel a week. You know, you, you realize
0: it's not the be all and end all of your day. So would you recommend people to try that then in during this time to just go sober?
1: It, it's a tricky one because people are only going to go sober if they're ready to. Addiction is one of those where unless you are ready to, you will not. Like I found the amount of people that I met when I was managing a nightclub that again told me they could put the bottle down at any point but wouldn't or they'd be like yeah yeah but I can get saver at some other point or whatever excuse and addiction mentality is one of those where you're so messed up that until you hit the point where you make the self-realization that you either need help or that you can do it and you're going to do it and you commit to it it's probably not going to happen. So if you're in that space or you've been thinking about it,
0: maybe now is the time because it'll cut your food budget. But (laughs) you're so right. I mean, it's the number one, isn't it, of of recovery that you've you've got to want to do it. And it sounds there as if you're talking about the addict voice. And Russell Brand talks a lot about the uh, it's an actual science, the addict recognition voice. And um, maybe we'll do it in one of the podcasts. And we actually you actually listen in to your um, addict voice. And it reminded me on Wallflower Express, which is a mental health poetry show, um, which is Tuesday and Friday at 6.30. And they uh, just the Wallflower Express just gone, they drew their um, critic voice. And I thought, actually, this is very similar to the addict. So you, you actually identify your addict voice and you write the addict voice down. And um, maybe we can share our addict voices. I know for a fact, what mine always says. well, apart from telling me that I'm fat, Um, and the other one is, you can just have one, and at all the points in those three years, there have been hundreds when I've thought about having one, sometimes had it pushed in my face, had it given to me for free, had it put in my hand, lots of times actually, uh, during the sobriety, don't get thinking it's been easy for me, because people have hated sober because I, I was so much more fun, that wasn't true but that's another addict voice thing you're so much more fun before alice um and so my addict always says you can just have one and that is uh, once you've cracked the addict voice people you can actually start to talk talk to it and you can realize that it's talking a load of rubbish so does your addict say anything to you jess can you identify anything um i'm not entirely sure i know that mental me is different to grounded
1: me and She's got a predilection to hard liquor and terrible decision making. <laughs> but a lot of mine boils down to personal insecurities and chips on my shoulder and things that I haven't achieved yet, and that whole idea that I'm not as far in life as I should be. So I know where it stems from. But in terms of like my. But the borderline point I you know hadn't realized how messed up I was getting pretty much every day and it was shocking it was in the space of like I don't know less than a year to go from being predominantly
0: sober to not being sober most of the time and it yes it's like such a quick time. slide isn't it Hmm. um and and for me uh I I started day drinking uh because I was uh I lost my job and uh, I got in with lots of uh, poets in uh, Birmingham and started performing and uh we would perform at uh, this thing at lunchtime and then we'd all go and, and it's the only time I've ever day drank but wow did I day drink and I would day drink and I would sort of do all these silly things like who can drink the most gins it was always me and who can drink the most this who could drink the most that added to that I was paying for it all for some reason for everybody's drinks I think I was sort of trying to get them to like me and um and and then it just it just became a raging thing and it and I got you know there were more and more day parties and and I my identity was this person that was a fantastic party girl And I thought I had hundreds of friends, I had this one party where I had friends come drinking all day from 12 till midnight and uh, I thought they were all my friends but they weren't. um, The biggest kick of your sobriety is a lot of your friends go Um, and it's worth knowing that I wish somebody had told me that and there's a bit of a gap and then you get new friends. this uh this I think this goes back to what you were saying. You've said quite a lot today about society rewarding us for drinking.
1: Well, mm. it's like as you were saying, when people shove drinks in your face, as whenever I've done sober points, people always challenge it. Why aren't you drinking? Yeah, but it's not that bad I day. Like that it's not that bad an idea. It's you know, just have one. Oh come on. You know, and a lot of people When just before all this hit, I was dating Three Months sober and I was sat in a nightclub with work colleagues on a Wednesday and I had this one girl in my ear being all, but why? Why are you sober? What's your story? Blah, blah, blah. Obviously on something, I don't know what, but it was one of those where I'd made a decision because I'd come out of therapy and I didn't really want to share that with a stranger because people assume you're either an alcoholic or you know which in case some of us are or have been very close to being because addiction is one of those very personal kind of journeys but it really frustrated me that this woman wanted to know why I wasn't drinking like was that any of her business no is it anyone's business that I finished therapy and that's why I'm not no I removed a crutch from myself
0: this is so true and this is where if uh, listeners if you get hold of this book the unexpected joy of being sober she's really good on this point uh so if you decide to be have a patch of sobriety she's talking about how you can um she's she calls them drunk shamers but she also says she used to do it herself and so i've had lots of this since but then i always think to myself actually i used to do it to other people and you've just got to ask yourself why is that person doing it and it's very often because you're touching on their drink problem you you don't mean to but it's sort of unsettling them because they know that they've got a drink problem and if you drink as well it will make them feel better um and yeah you don't have to give the reason I mean I was at a family party I mean I'm three years sober that that doesn't mean that it's all okay I went to this family party only a month ago and um it was for a 60th wedding anniversary so you'd think people would have learned most people were over 80 and my uncle spent the time telling me there was a free bar taking me up to the bar i was carrying the the pints for him oh. um and uh, and my cousin i met my cousin at the bar and and uh, the bar, she was having a pink prosecco um, she knew I had a, I was a recovering alcoholic as well. And uh, she and the barman, the barman just looked at me and said, what are you having? It's Christmas every day here. Um, and then we sat down, it was free bar, free bar. And I was drinking water, of course, that, that alerted people. And before I knew it, I had three people just, just make take, making fun of me, including my uncle, uh, because I was a vegetarian, sober Now, if I'd if I'd have gone there as my old incarnation, I can I can assure you that I would have told everyone what I thought of them while I was drinking, would have been an embarrassment, Uh, would have argued, would have uh, sworn, would have embarrassed the whole group. So why would you know, why would the family prefer that one? prefer that one they did and so if you're if you're listening and you know you maybe um you you have done a patch of sobriety i'm sure you're gonna you're gonna see yourself here in these elements of uh, you know you go back home and you think bloody hell you know i used to be an absolute nightmare socially i've tidied myself up and there's no applause it, it's the reverse people want me to be how i used to be it's just it's bizarre and it's back to what you're saying about society rewarding the drinker it, it's, it's pretty
1: mad like it was after I got sober that my housemate was turning around to me and going you your fun again which is an interesting oh <laughs> because I did go through a period where I put him through the ringer with all of my mental health issues and I shouldn't because he's wonderful and as I've said before him and his mum have done nothing but support me they are brilliant people but um it is an interesting one because you know mine was get drunk in a bar and in a hotel room or you know in sticky situations with people that were shady and nine times out of ten no one would know where I was either it was one of those mine was definitely linked to the idea that I had no self-worth and I think about some of the stuff that I got up to a
0: cringe and yeah I'm the same and and we we we're talking about, if we're talking about the effects on our life now, um, I, I thought about this before the podcast and I thought we drink to abuse people because the rise in domestic abuse calls at the moment will be no doubt linked to abusers drinking as well. So, you know, alcohol and then violence. But I think we also drink to be abused. Some people are going to be shaking their heads at this now. But when I think about how I abused myself, when I drank what 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 I allowed to happen honestly Mm -hmm. I I just wouldn't go there now no so I think that was wrapped up in it if you see what I mean I mean is that what you're saying as well that those risky things like oh I'm not even going to go there to tell you but I'm sure we've had the same experiences we wouldn't do them sober no 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 i definitely make better judgment calls sober
1: than the ones I was making you know
0: are you saying that that's post-trauma
1: behaviour? I think for some people, yes. Because, um, so I had a conversation with a friend. A lot of my realisations about some of my behaviours post-trauma came from outward kind of gazes, um, which was interesting because a, a lot of the issues I have, as I said, mess with self-worth, some of it's to do with bringing whatever and all the kinds of things that I've been through that have amalgamated into this. And she, I was sat having coffee with sober friend, and she turned around to me and she said, and I'll never forget it. Um, the reason you're going to bed with these people drunk is because you don't expect them to respect your consent, and that hit hard because it made me, yeah, definitely reevaluate what I was doing. And can you explain that a bit for people? Okay, so. I've always been a bit of a manic pixie dream girl type, just to clarify. I, you know, liberal feminist in that kind of sense, but post-trauma, the promiscuity wasn't driven by empowerment at all. It was driven by the need to not sleep alone, and it was going to bed with people almost blackout drunk. I've never really been blackout drunk, but a lot of the situations... I'm not going to stand and say that they were non-consensual because, you know, I've made the choice to be there and I could have probably walked away at any point, but they were high-risk scenarios where it was a hotel room and no one knew where I was, for example. You know, that's not safe behaviour. It's not something I would encourage in anyone, but because my self-esteem and everything was so through the floor, And because of what had happened to me, I was expecting them to not understand no if I told them anyway. So it's a way of writing off your own entitlement to consent. And that was a
0: hard kind of realization to sit in a coffee shop and have. We need those sort of friends, don't we? We need them. And I've got a similar experience to you post trauma with promiscuity. So, and I'm sure some people that are listening are going to be nodding their head right now um, with, you know, with that idea of, of being unsafe. Um, so, thanks for that, Jess. Brilliant. Uh, we're going to actually uh, have a track I've chosen, ironically. It's Chris Brown, because I thought, who's the patron state of. of getting drunk and abusing people Chris Brown I'm allowed to make fun of this and uh here he is with um the immortal line you got a bottle so do we and and I can't remember the rest of the line but you have to put your hand up in the air with the bottle and go yeah yeah yeah
4: hi this is Um I'm The reason why I became sober was because I saw one of my exes, my ex-partner, drink to a real excessive level, where they would literally work through like like a six-pack of beer in a day, just to cope, and yes, there was more to it, but once the relationship ended, I decided, no, I'm not going to drink no more. And it will be 18 months in June since I've actually had any drink at all and it's been good because I haven't had to worry it's mostly been a social issues people don't understand why I'm drinking people think I've been an alcoholic when I just chose to stop drinking and I've been better off for it
0: hello and welcome back to part 4 i hope you were singing along to that yeah 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 chris brown in an ironic way um and we've uh, just heard from aquila uh, t- talking about their reasons for um leaving uh, sorry for becoming sober and t- he, uh, they touched on i'm sorry i'm just i'm just going to um ex- <laughs> apologize now I'm just tripping over everybody's pronouns so I'm really sorry if I've misgendered you but come on I'm getting on a bit I'm trying mm. so um they they were talking about um how they became sober because of the behavior of someone else and uh, Jess did say earlier about how when you're an alcoholic or you're drinking too much it affects those around you so thanks for that Uh, and we're hopefully going to finish off with a little bit of poetry and writing if Jess has something for us I do
1: have a poem this is another writing prompt poem and this was to do with the year and a half I spent at the nightclub Um, i witnessed a lot of things that were pretty horrific as a result of people's party attitudes Um, and yeah some of it still keeps me up at night but this was another word prompt one Um, the word prompt was he clenched his fist so I'll start he clenched his fist just before the sound of a head cracking against pavement I stood there cigarette in hand in arbitrary conversation as an unconscious man lay at my feet then at my knees I was screaming Screaming at the inaction of those I've turned to for protection. That sound of a head cracking against the pavement rang through my ears over and over. It still does. The sight of blood and a giant, unmoving, followed that sound of a head cracking on pavement. An argument with four or five people followed that sound. Till the police officers stood there in front of me asking the same question that I had asked. Why didn't this man leave in an ambulance? Boom. So yeah, uh, alcoholism doesn't always just affect you guys. Some of us have to clean up your mess.
0: (laughs) Wow, that gave me goosebumps. Okay, I'm going to read you. I was going to do a silly one from the show called I Drink My Own Tears, where I wandered around making fun of my drink problem and saying that my tears were in bottles. But I thought, come on, Alice. You know, I've got a little bit of discomfort in this podcast because obviously I'm bearing my soul. Um, But I thought, do you know what? I'm going to read a little bit from a book I'm writing uh, that's... um, Yeah, so it's actually... The first time I've ever written seriously about what it feels like to be an alcoholic. I know I'm here now for the day. The whiskey weighs me down like nothing else. I know it's not the whiskey, it's the shame of day one, hiding underneath the smack on the lips and the familiar ah on the back of the throat. I've missed all these things, and I've been relieved that they were not there at the same time. The Drinker's Dilemma. Do we feel better without the drink? In truth, no, because then we see ourselves in our ugly truth, and who wants that? Do fat people look in the mirror? No. So why should drunks want to be sober when sobriety is their mirror and it's a fat mirror? We all need mirrors, but we all need friends too, and alcohol is and always will be my best friend. The sort of friend who parties with you then leaves you when you fall over and rip your tights. The sort of friend that doesn't tell you that he could be dangerous. The sort of friend that looks good with an ugly heart. A friend with a filter. A false friend. It's better than no friend, I say out loud as I take another swig. My coordination is already off and I miss my mouth and laugh. It's taken hold quicker after 15 days off the roller coaster and now it's time to belt up and admire the view. The up is the up and on the up there is no future planning for the down. When you're drinking, you're in the moment. Isn't that what the power of now is all about? I laugh again at my own joke because the drink may be a friend, but it never laughs along. So my hard laughter echoes down the hall. Did my auntie lie here and do this? Is that what killed her? When I drink, I count down the hours and the minutes and the seconds of my life because it seems so monotonous, but at the same time, it can be divided by drinks. Without a drink, life seems less ordered and more like a long stretch of time to fill. With a drink, you have nothing to lose, but time. I don't know why I do it, and that's a lie. I do it to lose the time I have been given, because maybe I don't feel I deserve it. Dr Samuels called it survivor's guilt, but he was wrong. Like I told you, I don't do guilt. When was he ever right? It seems he simply ascribes labels to people to keep them out of jail and if he can sleep soundly at night after that then he really is a sociopath. I do it because I can't not do it. I believe the lies I tell myself and that is why you will never win an argument with an addict. I believe the lies I tell myself. Please believe me. I believe them totally except I don't. I do in my mind, drenched with the drug and sparking up the familiar neural pathways to hell, but in my gut, my heart, my spirit, whatever you want to call it, that other place where survival comes from, the clues we have from some other source, the intuition, I don't believe any of them in that place. But that place is firmly locked off and ring-fenced for the alcoholic, and if you dare to step in and point it out, there is only one next step. Anger and indignation. Who do you think you're telling me? Calls, police, almost every pub in every small town in the UK after 11pm. But here and now, a quarter of the way down the remaining whisky, I believe my own lies. Outside the wind has been howling all night, like a warning of something but I don't know and I don't care what. Nature holds you out there and nature roughly tackles you if you walk by the sea on a day like this. I will go out later so that the oxygen can speed up the rush of alcohol in my veins and stave off the bottom of the bottle bottle low, before the new bottle high. Another binary. Addiction exists only in binaries, to drink or not to drink. Red or white, small or large glass. (laughs) Ha ha ha, do you have to ask? Single or double? There is a chain pub on the front, painted in grey, where no one ever looks out on the balcony except to roll up cheap tobacco and frustratingly suck it dry. There, the only question your brain will be forced to consider is, do you want to go double for 50p? And whoever says no. In time-honoured fashion, they will keep serving until you have filled you with so much knock-off cheap shit out of day alcohol that you can't stand or see straight. Then yet another guard will throw you out onto the dog-shit stained streets where you can add your body fluid of choice and maybe try to box with your imaginary foes who look just like your brothers. On summer weekends, the whole filthy strip is full of cheap people adding to the pavement, peeing or throwing up, then filling up some more, shouting at girls, throwing plastic and cigarettes down for birds to choke on. The endless fight with nature, and in the summer months, these fat chavs win. In the winter, they are not seen, and I prefer it that way. The sea thrashes the wild sea, it pulls at your hair and it tears at your feet and it's painful but at least this way you know you're alive and it never stops, it never gives up. The tide can't be stopped and the wind can't be held although I chase it and the sun can't be dimmed. The light never really goes out here. The sun, the sea always has some light reflecting from it, from the moon, even if the moon is hiding behind the clouds. One solitary lighthouse blinks out slowly on Saturday nights in front of the twinkling lights of Cardiff as it spews its parties all over the bay with the same predictable outcomes in the A&E department. If you suffocate the dark, you suffocate the light. Yes, that sounds like some bollocks that a life coach would tell you at £60 an hour, but I prefer to think that there is always light and dark and the bit in between. Because the world is not really binary, but an addict's world is well yes there's no, nothing more to say now is there really jess i've said it all i think um so thank you for joining us today uh, everyone it's been slightly longer than usual because we thought well we've we've had more people uh, join in which we love please please send us some more voicemails for next time. And we hope we've given you food for thought or at least drink for thought. So what are we doing on Sunday at six, Jess? What's our next topic? Looking at simple
1: self-care tips to help you through times like these.
0: That's great. So uh, maybe we'll send some voice clips around and, and you could send us in your tips. That would be great. I said, tips I said tips people with a p act like we're bartenders (laughs) (laughs) so any last uh, thoughts um Jess
1: um if you are struggling reach out to people that are sober or have been through it because it will help and it's important that you do if you feel that you are at that point put the bottle down do it it's going to be hard. I'm not going to sugarcoat it and sit there and say it was easy. And the day one thing, if you fall off, you start it again. But at least give it a go.
0: Yes. Um. If you slip start again we all slip but also try and avoid people that are going to encourage you they're going to be they're going to be encouraging you to to get back on it as they say <laughs> uh try and avoid them on social media if possible and uh yeah uh enjoy uh, a nice cup of tea or yep, coffee maybe a slice of cake that was heavy oh definitely so uh thanks for joining us everybody thanks jess Thank you for having me See you on Sunday at 6. Bye, guys. Cheers. Hello.